HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Roth, Wisconsin, makers of the world's best cheese and pioneers in the U.S. artisan cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Love Bites, coming at you live from Heritage Radio Network. Today is Monday, November 14th. I'm one of your hosts, Jacqueline Raposo. I write about people who make food. You can find my work and me as at wordsfoodart.com. I'm 35 straight and single. And I am your other host, Ben Rosenblatt. I am an actor, writer, musician, occasional bartender, and server. You can check me out at benrosenblattactor.com. I am 34 straight and in a relationship. Today is the second in our series about familial love, and after the break, we're going to be joined by Jane Allison, the author of the memoir The The Sisters Antipodes and the recently released novel Nine Island, amongst others. She grew up in a rather unorthodox family, as she describes in her memoir, and we're going to ask her how that affects her sense of self-worth and how bringing her childhood to a public sphere affected her family relationships into adulthood. But first, Benjamin... What is your greatest, most immediately, most immediate struggle you're dealing with right now, Oof. today, in this moment? Starting out with an easy question. <clears throat> um, I think the thing I'm most stressed about in my life right now is probably the upcoming holidays. Um, I am playing the intermediary um, between family members right now at the moment over some complicated dynamics. And also bringing home a girlfriend for Thanksgiving for the first time in seven years. And also then going to be away from my family and my girlfriend over Christmas and Hanukkah and New Year's whole thing while I'm away in Portland. And I'm kind of like trying to juggle a lot of balls with family and relationship and all sorts of things um, as we approach the holiday season. That's intimidating to have on the horizon. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, but you know, taking it day by day. Yeah, day by day. How about you? What are you the most stressed about or what are you struggling with? Um, 
my body is like breaking down. <laughs> like Saturday within a few hours. I like um, how you laugh. About, you're laughing about well, that. It's sort of funny that everything happened at once. Like, you know, I, I have a cold and I think I, I think my eyes infected either that or like I have a tumor and it's pressing against my eye, which is not a not a funny joke, but it sort of makes me laugh that idea. Like my, my eye is swollen and it hurts. And um, my period came four days early, which I'm saying is my lady chromosomes angry at the world <laughs> and like and everything like I've been I've been keeping migraines in check. I had a migraine all day yesterday, so I was in the dark. And I think it's just a result of a, uh, several bad things happening in the past week um, that I just, my body is adjusting to. And so I'm, I'm most stressed about just uh, keeping that all together while I have, you know, life to deal with and, and you know, just to get, you know, you got you to get up and work. And so I just, uh, just want to f- have that handled until I can figure out a day or a hopefully a couple days at a time where I can just turn out and go for a walk and maybe get out of the city Mm. for a couple of days and just sort of, you know, tune, tune everything out for a few days and and rest and just restore. So I'm definitely struggling with that. Well, now that we have shared how terrible our lives are, Uh, um, maybe you could share something that you're very excited about in life. I'm really excited about the work I have right now. I've got a couple of clients I've got that I'm writing my first piece for print about, uh, one of the one of the pastries of Portugal, one of the islands that I'm from in Portugal, and that makes me happy. I'm writing and editing for a new website that's launching in a few weeks. It's really creative storytelling about real people, so it's combining you know creative writing with the kind of profile interview interview work I do. So that's exciting. I'm really excited about that kind of work. So um, that's why like I I want my body to behave better because I've got stuff that I'm really excited to do and share with the world. How about you? What are you excited about? My, right mine now? is a work thing too. I'm really excited about this play that I'm about I'm so to go to. So excited about this play you're about um, to go do out west, and you know, yeah. as an actor, it's kind of like you don't always get to be doing your work. Yeah. Um, and I'm really excited to get to go and like dive in headfirst in like a really fantastic piece of writing at a really fantastic company in a really fantastic theater space where I know I'm going to really feel taken care of at, and supported as an artist um, and get to, you know, have an opportunity to do really well what I love to do most. Yay. So, listeners, um, we wanted to start the show that way because this this show is not about politics and it's not about what's going on sort of in the world at large. It's about love and relationships and communication and relationships. And so when we've been sort of, people have sort of asked us how we were going to handle the results of the election and things like that on the show and listening to how other heritage radio show hosts have handled it, we all we could come up with is how do we show some little extra love? And I think part of how we do that is just checking in with people and not making assumptions about what they're stressed about or how they're feeling, but just asking how people are feeling and, and listening and sharing how people are doing so that's what we sort of want to talk about for a few minutes today, how we can show love to those around us, especially those who are hurting and those of us. There are a lot of people in our circles right now who are struggling very, very much with um, issues related to the election results last week. So, um, so Ben, what have, let's maybe say a couple things that we've seen that have made us feel good the past week that in you know, ways that people are showing love a little bit more. Um, you know, more visibly or in ways that were, we found to be a little bit more profound or supportive. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's, it comes down to listening. Um, And I think 
the more I feel listened to, the more I'm willing to listen. Um, and I think there has been a tendency to listen a little more now, especially when there's a lot of uh, things that people don't understand about others. Right. Um, I think there I've seen and what has been effective for me, I've also seen the opposite, but I've, I've seen and what has been effective for me is seeing people reach out with a willingness to understand and to listen and to, um, to cultivate empathy. Mm. That's a really good way of, of saying it. Have you seen anything that struck you as particularly effective? I've seen so many things. Well, first, I want to give credit to, to you and people like my brother. Like, there have been men in my life who've recognized how hard this, how much this meant to women who are still trying to sort of stake out our place in certain realms of the world. And especially with a candidate like our president-elect who has said some very horrible things about women in his past and made a lot of women feel unsafe. And I think a lot of women are feeling unsafe and a lot of people are feeling unsafe right now. Um, you know, at, on Wednesday night, I met you and, and your girlfriend and you just at one point gave us a hug and told us you were sorry about that aspect and that you recognized it. And that meant a lot. And my brother on the phone, when I spoke with him, you know, he said he's not, you know, he doesn't normally wear his, you know, emotions on his sleeve and he's doesn't normally talk about feelings and things like that. But he pointed out that the hardest thing for him was seeing how this was affecting the women in his life. He's like, I've got three sisters. I live with my girlfriend. I have a lot of female friends and I'm seeing them being destroyed. And that's been really, he was pointing out how hard that was for him, which meant something that he was noticing and that that was affecting him. And so, um, and there have been other men, like one of my male editors texted me Wednesday morning, just wanting to send you a hug. Like just that recognition of what this meant to a lot of women, uh, was really, really helped. Um, that was one thing. And then I want to point out, even on the way here today, I ran into so the subway therapy guy. A lot of people in New York are tagging or using the hashtag subway therapy. There's a guy, uh, his name is Levy, who's, he started this six months ago, but it's picked up a lot of momentum this past week where he has post-it notes. And you can, on this, in the subway track between the one, two, three lines and the LFM lines on 14th street, uh, you can put up post-it notes saying anything you need to say. A lot of people are putting up like, I want my voice to be heard, Lo you know, things about love, venting frustrations and, uh, it's subwaytherapy.com. And he said he started it just because he wanted people to have a place to express themselves in the past week. A lot of people, he said a lot of friends of his were devastated and felt like their voices couldn't be heard and that they just needed a place to be able to, you know, see that and to, to have their words, you know, up for other people's to see. And so that I think was just a great way to put, you know, people just putting a little extra love out there in the world. Um, so those are two things this week that definitely made me feel good. Yeah. And I think too, like one thing people can do, I'm certainly no expert, but practicing self-love I think is always important. But I think particularly in times that are difficult, taking care of oneself and, you know, taking time for yourself and um, not being hard on yourself and yeah. giving yourself credit and cutting yourself some slack um, can be one way in which we can then be able to bring our best selves to other people. Right. And I think when, when bad things happen, whether we're talking about what happened this past week or in general, I think our tendency is to sort of like, you know, move on, like brush it, you know, like pick yourself up and move on. And sometimes that 
that picking yourself up and moving on, if it happens too fast, it's more like you're just... You're not really moving on. You're not really moving on. You're not really picking yourself up. You're more just like, you know, brushing things aside or pushing things down. And so, you know, when things get really bad, let yourself be angry about them or sad about them or wallow in them. Like a lot of people I know are just letting themselves cry. And the time will come when you are when you are ready to pick yourself up and move on and do something when you are ready for emotion to become action then emotion can come, can become action. But like, you're right, just give yourself time and patience and, and whether that is doing something good for yourself or another person, you know, just, yeah, self-love is important when things are really bad. And that's not, that doesn't mean doing things that are destructive or negative or, you know, like doesn't give you free reign to like sit in a bottle, you know, with a bottle in a corner necessarily, you know, like make smart choices for yourself, even though a lot of us were sitting in bottles with corn, you know, with bottles in corners, like that's, that's fair sometimes too. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, be careful with your bottles in the corners, all I'm saying, but like, you know, just, yeah, give love to self and others. Uh, can we maybe think about one way that we can try to like, give a little extra love out in the world this week, Ben? Can that be our sort of challenge we can ask Jane at, at the end of the show, too? Sure. Do you have an idea for yourself? I don't. Can you go first? Do you have one? <laughs> um, I mean, again, I think for me it is it is practicing more compassion for myself. Um, I was having a conversation with my girlfriend about this last night, actually, about just, like, how hard I'm being on myself in so many areas of my life. And it pertains to, like, what we were talking about a little bit earlier, too, when you asked right. me what I'm stressed about. But I think that just, like... Having patience with myself, um, I think, will allow me to have more patience for others and feel a little more comfortable and safe in the world and also have a little more tolerance for other people's dissatisfaction and fears and um, anxiety and all of that. If I feel more grounded and comfortable with myself then I can be a much better listener than if I'm focused on all my own mm. issues. Yeah. The idea of feeling safe in the world, we're going to talk about that a lot today with Jane regarding family love. And I just, I've been struggling with the idea of feeling safe in your skin and safe in the world a lot lately with everything and with what I'm doing with, <laughs> with my year of abstinence.com. That's been, I'm doing no sugar, no booze right now. So that's been a really, Oof. really interesting week if you guys want to check that out, it's myyearofabstinence.com. I've been writing about facing the world, you know, sober without... I just feel like if I didn't have sugar or booze, I wouldn't be ingesting anything. <laughs> I'm sort of not, actually. That's been sort of like, I'm basically down to... I don't know. I don't even want to talk about that. I'm sort of not really eating or drinking much right now. But um, my thing, I guess, is sort of in a way the opposite that I just want to be patient. I think it goes back to the no assumptions. when I A lot of people are hugging a little bit more and a little bit longer. Um, Thursday I had to, like I work from home, so I get a lot of time by myself and a lot of time in my head and I needed to leave my apartment on Thursday and I went downtown to my arts club to work just to be around people and the owner in the front was giving, just everybody walking in was just giving a hug and holding a hug and asking people how they were doing and that was a gift right there and I want to, I want to have, I want to be the person that gives that gift to and just asking people how they're doing and just listening and whether it has something to do with this past week or not, just, Hugging, holding the hug, and asking people. Expressing love physically is just so powerful. Yeah. And I think something that, you know, I don't focus on maybe enough or I don't necessarily always um, consider the power yeah. that a hug or even just a gentle, loving touch can 
Rem- hold. Remember in the first season when we're like, assume everything is flirting. I feel like from now on, I want to be like, assume the person wants to hug, which is actually not, which is not a good. Actually, no, I'm taking that back already because that's not a safe body space. Not everybody likes to be touched. So, but if you, th- all right, I'm gonna have to rethink about that slogan actually. <laughs> but if the person does want to hug you, really hug the person. I'm amending this. Yes, if somebody, if you are hugging somebody, really give love with a hug. I think that's better, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> well, no, I'm just thinking I mean, I about how sentiment is. I was, thinking about, is I was the... thinking about consent, and I was thinking, you know, I think my. Uh, anyway. I think your heart is in the right place. My heart was in the right place, but my politics have to be behind it, too. So, um, all right. So, I, I think, so, yeah, yeah, and I think it's, you know, it's interesting. You were talking about finding love in different places throughout the city. Um, just a moment ago, and I think it would be nice because we're trying to find ways in which showing love can be effective to others. If you, our listeners, wouldn't mind, if you see love being spread in a way that you find particularly helpful to you or helpful to others or moving in any sort of way, if you could uh, post it and tag it, tag us on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever the easiest platform for you is, at Love Bites Radio, um, then we can get the word out there and have people sharing love in all the most appropriate and effective ways. Yeah, we'd really love to see how you guys are seeing love out there. So just throw, you know, at Love Bites Radio on your on your feeds and that would help us so we can see love too. We'd appreciate it. Um, moving on, before we go to our commercial break today, I want to give you guys some backstory about our guest, uh, Jane Allison, because her memoir really takes a lot on. And so I want to give you sort of just a little bit about uh, about what her memoir encapsulates. So when Jane Allison was a child, her family met another that seemed like its mirror, a father in the foreign service, a beautiful mother, and two girls, the younger two, one of them Jane, sharing a birthday. Within months, the parents exchanged partners, divorced, remarried, and moved on. Two pairs of girls were left in shock that would prove tragic. That's sort of a summary of the book right there. So there are a lot of questions about family relationships in the memoir, and we're studying family relationships right now. So there are themes of absent fathers, of proving yourself worth to to your fathers, about ownership of family and fathers, ownership of your country. This takes place in Australia and the United States, as well as other points around the world that the fathers are sent to in their service. Um, a questioning of worth regarding which of the mother's which of the mothers made the choice to leave the fathers versus which of the mothers was the one that was left by the father, uh, which parallel sister or home country was the better, stronger, prettier, more worthy one. There's a lot to take on in the memoir and it's got a style of its own. It's stunningly written. There are so many things we could be asking Jane about. Um, but since we're exploring relationships with family members, we're going to focus on our interview on her personal interactions. So on her and her interactions as a human being and as the writer who brought this story public, because since Ben and I often share our private stories on a public platform, it's an interesting exploration for us as human beings as to how you do that without negatively affecting the relationships in your own life. So we're going to take a quick break right now. And when we come back, we've got Jane on the phone with us. Stick around. tasted the world's best cheese? Grand Cru Sirchois is the 2016 World Cheese Champion. 
Our partners at Roth Wisconsin make this gorgeous alpine-style cheese in the rolling hills of Greene County, Wisconsin. Grand Cru Sorchois is produced by hand in Swiss copper vats and finished by aging on spruce planks. The quality milk and careful craftsmanship bring out the award-winning light floral notes, nutty undertones, a hint of fruitiness, and a mellow finish. Perfect with Riesling and Muscat, Grand Cru Sorchois is a guaranteed hit for any occasion. Check out their other offerings at RothCheese.com. You'll discover Buttermilk Blue and their newest release, Prairie Sunset, the golden-hued love child of Mimolette and Gouda. You'll also find recipes like the Raclette Reuben and Tomato Tartlets. Everything you need to know about the world's best cheese is at RothCheese.com. Jane Allison is professor and director of creative writing at the University of Virginia and the author of four novels, The Love Artist, The Marriage of the Sea, Natives and Exotics, and Nine Island, as well as Change Me, translations of Ovid's stories of sexual transformation. Her memoir, The Sisters' Antipodes, tracks a childhood of self-identity that is particularly uncommon, and the book beautifully encapsulates the struggles many of us face with growing into our skin when we're not quite sure. Welcome to the show, Jane. Hi, thank you. Um, I'm just going to dive right in here because we don't have much time. Um, Some of the themes from your childhood kept recurring in your fiction before your memoir. And we are wondering, what did you feel like you were most struggling with that you couldn't quite shake regarding your past? I think by the time I wrote the memoir, one of the things that made me have to write it was, and in terms of um, older issues, was the sense I had had growing up of being replaceable. Um, I think you guys did a beautiful job of, of describing the book. Thank you before. And, um, and and so this situation I was in of having this little counterpart who had my birthday, almost my, my name, who now had my father, um, who then soon acquired my country, which was Australia, and my accent, which was Australian, while I had all of hers. Um, it made me think that no matter how how worthy you might be, the fact is you can simply be replaced by somebody else. Um, and so this and and being really unrooted as a kid, you know, traveling all over the world in the foreign service um, and having no no connection that felt real and substantial, these were the two things, sort of replaceability and a lack of, of a real connection to a place that I, I kept working through in different ways in my novels before. You point out times during your childhood when opportunities to discuss inner conflicts regarding ownership, regarding your families, your dual families, was offered to you um, by your stepsisters and your mother and your fathers. Um, was there? But you didn't necessarily take them up on it, and you sort of give reasons on both sides as to why. Was there anything someone could have done differently to get you to open up throughout your childhood? I think, I think mostly it was my mother who was the one who would say, oh, you can't be bottled up, you have to let things out. But her own, her own emotionalism was so overflowing that I had sort of decided, you know, this is when I was 10 or 11 or 12, that I did not want to be like that. I had to be more, more solid. Um, so I think that... Um, if, if when the strange thing happened of the parents trading partners, if, if people had been, if it happened now and people are much more versed in psychology, um, it might, there might have been a conversation and they would have said, oh, this is what's happening. But not, nothing like that happened. So there hadn't been any 
um, set up by, by the parents for a kind of open discussion or open way of experiencing this pretty um, interesting rearrangement. So I think, it, I think it, if, if that had happened, then maybe, but that didn't happen. So it was sort of like, well, it's too late now. This is now my own little, little private, <laughs> my own little private uh, experience. Do you feel like you've been able to let go of that sense of blame as an adult in some way? Recognizing oh, that yeah. I don't, I don't, I mean, blame, I guess that sounded probably blaming right then. I, I think that the, I am very much an adult now in my, my 50s, um, and I think that the adult did what they had to do. I mean, I think they had to rearrange their lives, and I think if they hadn't, it would have been terrible. Um, so I don't, I, don't think, I don't think that was the wrong thing to do. I just don't think it was handled quite as well as it might have been after that in terms of addressing all the repercussions. Um, so I don't, I feel as though... I don't think I've ever blamed them for the thing they did itself. Um, and I do know that writing the book, it's a funny effect. I don't really believe in writing as therapy. I, I teach creative writing, and so I really care about writing as, as art. <laughs> um, but it does have that effect. When you've written something that's been you've, something you've been working through for years and years and years, you just kind of get done with it. It's like, well, not interested in that anymore. So, so just plain writing the book and having had to think about it and trying to transform things that had been painful into hopefully something that was a little bit beautiful um, definitely made me like move beyond all the things that I had in my mind all those years. Mm. What about regarding romantic relationships? Because in the same way, when I say blame, I don't mean that you were literally blaming them because I think when we look at our childhoods as adults, we see what our parents did with an understanding we just don't have when we're children. We understand that they did what they did, you know, with the best that they had, you know, as adults with you know, further yeah. education and with what we know of parenting now and the way parenting is now compared to then. But when we look to our parents as children, whether it's intentionally or accidentally, we sort of are absorbing markers as to what romantic relationships and partnerships look like. And so throughout the memoir, you bring up these patterns of your father and stepfather leaving your mother through divorce and then of seeing your mother going through relationships and you describe several of them and then sort of the relationships you go through with with boys and then men and then your father and your stepfather. So as an adult, and having gone through, like you were saying, the accidentally therapeutic steps of writing the memoir, do you still find yourself uncovering, uncovering scars from this, you know, even just as, as you're still developing as a, as a woman in your 50s? I don't think so, actually. I think that might be the good news. I mean, I don't think I find... I think I, think I just sort of got through it all. You know, that can happen after a certain point, and God, I'd hope so, by, by 54 or 55 as of last week. Um, um, but I, I mean, one thing that was interesting is that because I had this weird doubled childhood, there, were, there was two of everything. You know, everything was perfectly mirrored. And so on the one hand, there was my mother who, in many ways, was extremely strong and ended up on her own and having to raise us alone and work and, you know, manage a household as well. Um, but but there was a weakness to her regarding relationships. She just did not seem to be able to have them very well, um, and she was sort of needy. But on the other side was my stepmother, who actually did not really work for a living, but is an artist and um, and had this enormous sort of like romantic or sexual potency about her that I I found just really um, admirable. So or not admirable. I just I was sort of infatuated with it. I guess so. Um, I think I've seen kind of double, there have been double markers for everything, you know, like the, the, the difficult, frightening stepfather you want to please, and then the other one that you're trying to win the love of, and then the two, the two women, one who presented one kind of weakness and strength, and the other who presented um, sort of the opposite uh, version of weakness and strength. 
there's so much personal stuff here and so much familial stuff and it gets so complicated and Jacqueline and I run into this ourselves, you know, doing this show and, you know, as it pertains to sharing stuff regarding our romantic partners, sharing stuff regarding our families, we are often challenged with the question, how much is too much to share? And I'm curious if you might be able to share some of the challenges you faced when presenting this memoir to your family. Oh, I, I faced plenty. <laughs> I mean, I think anyone writing a memoir does, and, it, and I teach writing memoirs, and, and, you know, it's one of the first things you have to tell people is just write now and worry about that later, um, because there's certainly no way to write anything good without just letting yourself go completely where you've got to go. Um, I, I needed to, um, I wrote everyone involved in the book uh, a letter, of, you know, a few months before it, the book was going to come out saying I was doing it, and um, and I got a lot of, I mean, my one one parent chose to cut off all relations with me. Um, another said he would, but then changed his mind after a few months. Um, another uh, said she would and sort of did, but I think we wish each other well at long distance. So there were definitely, there were casualties um, in terms of the relationship, but I think they're also now more honest because I wrote what I wrote and I wasn't writing a vengeful book. I was just trying to explore what I had experienced. Um, and now, you know, so now we were sort of all not no longer pretending a lot of things. You know, their narrative had been the dominant one for a long time, and now mine also existed. And I, I don't know, I, I, it was sort of a shame to lose some contact, but it wasn't very honest contact. So I, I, I can't say I regret the effect this thing had on me. I do regret that, you know, something must have hurt one or two of, of the figures involved. Um, but it was all in the spirit of trying to turn something difficult into something a little bit more more beautiful. Did anything um, particularly or intimately positive come out of this? Because I imagine that sort of digging into the really deep parts of yourself is a challenge as well when you write something this huge. So either just for you personally or between you and a family member, is there something that you were just so grateful that actually happened um, in a specific moment? Uh, I think that uh, my father was one who resisted the book very much and, and made even said he wouldn't read it. But then after a while, um, insisted I send it to him, which I did. Um, and then he did read it, and then he wrote me a very beautiful letter. Um, so I would say that was the most positive thing, is that I had sort of, you know, it's a love letter to him, really, and my other stepfather in a way, and he, he did read it and hear it. Um, and so that was that was probably the best thing that came of it. My mother was always very... Um, open to the whole thing, as was my as was my my blood sister. So I had strong, good relations with them to begin with. But I think the one with my father became more 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 not not closer because we live in different countries, but um, but a little bit more real, and that's that's really good. Throughout the the memoir, there's another theme of sort of what is self worth and this competition you had with. Uh, with your stepsister for for your father's love and sort of academic and as far as you have felt as a woman. And then I could imagine just also being the artist within your family and having this work be how you present your family and just with writing and with words being sort of a culmination of your self-worth as well, uh, be sort of part of the picture. Um, like looking back, do you feel like the achievements that you were always sort of pushing for being valedictorian of your school and getting, you know, prizes and, and awards for things and scholarship. Do you, like, how much of that was really, do you think about you proving your self-worth for yourself versus you sort of trying to stake out 
a place in your family? And has, has that changed now as an adult? Or how has that changed in adulthood? Oh, I would say it's inverted. I mean, I think that when I was a kid, it was very clear. It was, you know, you're the little girl who's five or six and you want, or I will just not say you, I'll say I wanted, you know, wanted attention and wanted to be noticed and wanted to be not the same as the others, but to have some individuality, you know, given that, you know, I could get someone else's name and everything so easily. Um, So when I was very young, uh, for sure, I was trying to be recognized and be seen as something of some worth. by, by the fathers. Um, but that ended, I think that ended, I don't know, maybe when I was 20-something. Um, it just went away because then I was committed to whatever other kinds of things I was trying to do. I, I mean, I, I suppose there was a little bit of it still, but by now, I don't think I've felt that for, oh, 20 years, something like that. We were talking at the beginning of our show about ways in showing love and offering love and compassion. Um, and I think any work of art is just that, um, as this book is. And I'm curious if you received any responses to this work um, that stuck with you. Oh, I did. I mean, so a couple that I received were of the sort of extraordinary variety where someone said, I had the exact same thing happen in my family. And I thought, oh, my God. Um, but a few of those, surprisingly enough. Wow. But, but then, yeah, um, but without the international part or, or something. Um, but then what I think was most moving to me or, or made me feel most glad uh, was getting responses from, like, if you say the book involves, you know, a father, a stepfather, a mother, a stepmother, a stepsister, stepbrothers, half-brothers, all of that, I think I got letters from people who occupied all of those different situations who had somehow been moved by it. And I thought that was, that was really pleasing or made me just glad that, you know, a man who had left his own daughters, you know, wrote saying how the, the book had affected him. And so I, I thought that was a good sign for the book, and I was glad that people were, um, you know, able to, to get something from it, even though they were not occupying my point of view at all. That was, that was really comforting. Was the book moving them to have conversations with their family members who they felt an affinity with through the, through the work? I don't know. They didn't, I don't think the people I heard from said went that far. They just said, you know, I, I feel my, I see myself in this book and I write, thank you for writing it, that kind of thing. And I, I have to admit, I probably didn't follow up and say, so are you, are you calling your daughters now? Because <laughs> that. that's the point. Yeah. Um, of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah. No, uh, the, I, had a, I had a friend who gave me the book and I'm reading the book to a friend right now. It's definitely amongst women I know uh, made an impact. So uh, mm-hmm. even those of us who have nothing to do with, with step families and things like that. So um, so switching, I, I would like to just bring up before we run out of time, your most recent book is a nonfiction novel called Nine Island. It was recently released in September, and it centers around the story of Jay, a solitary woman obsessed with Ovid's poems living alone in a Miami high-rise. Uh, so why don't you just please tell us what readers can expect from Jay that you're excited to share with us? Uh, well, Jay, this is a nonfiction novel, as we said, so everything is based on, on pretty much on, on fact. I did not want to write a memoir. I wanted to have the freedom of fiction. Um, she's trying to decide whether it's time to retire from love. She's um, had 30 years of disaster with men and, you know, a marriage and then various visitings of old boyfriends, and now she's thinking, oh, for God's sake, maybe I should just give up on all this. And so the book is her trying to sort that out, and it's um, it's funny, and it becomes dark, and she um, meets people who make her think more about what it means to want or need to be with another person, um, and Ovid is, uh, is sort of her guide throughout the whole thing because she's translating his stories of, of sexual change. I, 
think we're going to have to have you back to talk about that. Jay. <laughs> I'd be happy to. Yeah, right now we're exploring family love, but there have there ha- there's constant talk about giving it up to be single for the rest of our lives on the show. Hmm. Yep, yep, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, before we let you go, we uh, before our break, Ben and I just in focusing on on sharing love, uh, just mentioned how we're going to try to share a little bit of extra love this week. Uh, do you have anything you might want to share with our listeners about how? You're just trying to share a little extra love with the world right now is for some people it seems to be, you know, crashing and burning. Well, I'm in a situation where there's a lot of it needed because I'm I'm at a university and so we have right. had grad students who have been weeping and undergrads who have been weeping and shattered mm-hmm. and and um and so there's lots of chances to do it and and you know, I've been talking with a lot of them and we've been trying to comfort each other as best we can and I'm having my uh, my MFA students over for dinner on Wednesday, and I'm hoping they'll all be petting my cat a lot. I think <laughs> so. So there's really a lot of possibility here because we, you know, they we read each other's work, and there's a lot of intimacy anyway um, in terms of how we interact with the the big bad world out there. So yes, I'm feeling it from them and trying to give some back to them as well. Yeah, I think getting together and communing is has been very important. So and furry animals always help. Furry animals always yes, help. Yes, they do help. Furry animals. Purring, are, purring for animals. Yeah, because they have no idea what's going on, so they're great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Jane. There's a billion things we could have asked you about if we had an indefinite amount of time. So we really, we really appreciate it. We'd love to have you back. Thanks so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank, Thank you. you. Listeners, Bye-bye. you can find more about the Sisters Antipodes and Nine Island at our website, lovebitesradio.com and at janeallisonauthor.com. Uh, ben, that is our show for today. Yay. It's good to see you. Oh, it's always a pleasure to see your you make gorgeous, shining, glowing face. Shining, glowing face. Like hazy. You're not pregnant, are you? <laughs> no. I'm the opposite of pregnant right now. Um, <laughs> I can't believe you just ended the show with that question. <laughs> you <laughs> never know. Deep heartfelt. I told the world the, wanted to know. I told you the beginning of the show that I got my period early because my female hormones are raging right now. It's true. I did tell you that. Okay, all right. All I know right. you, but I also know you were like dating three men as of you know a week ago. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Was is the part. Right, we'll get to that. We'll get to that that's, next week. That's next week. So listeners, um, head to lovebitesradio.com to find out what we've got in store for you next week. That is our show for today. As always, our theme song, um, indefinitely because he's given it to us because he's the bestest in the whole world. Is "Give Love" by Josh Dion. So hashtag Give Love. That is our banner song right now. Hashtag give love. Thanks, Josh. Our engineer is Pierre. I want to. I need to come up with a new nickname for him every week. My brain is not working. Or Thank just you, Pierre. At least develop like a French accent, so you could say Pierre and like a Pierre. Thank I, you, I Pierre, for yeah. your work today. No, I don't even know what that was. You put me on the spot, but he's he's looking all he's all bearded and he's looking all chill and he's smiling. He's got a good smile on his face in the booth. And he's just the sweetest. So thank you, Pierre. Uh, we are Jacqueline Raposo and Ben Rosenblatt. We will be back in the studio right here next week on Monday at four p.m. here at Heritage Radio Network dot org. See ya. Give love. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Oh, <laughs>